Hey guys, welcome to Dark Vale. We're your hosts, John and Tori. Dark Vale is a podcast that discusses the darker side of life. We are not professionals on any of the topics we discuss. We do as much research as we can, and we do try to be as accurate as possible. However, no one is perfect, and neither are we. Because we're discussing the darker side of things, this podcast is best listened to by a mature audience. So sit back and get ready to podcast and chill! Hey guys, welcome to Dark Vale, and welcome to episode 15. My name is John. And my name is Tori. So today we're doing our makeup episode, because we missed one the previous week. So this is like the the bonus makeup one that we said we were going to do. Yeah. Um, This one is going to be... Lifting the veil, the dark veil on death. We're going to talk about death and what happens to the body, the changes it goes through during death, and um, some actual accounts of possible life after death. Are we going to lift the veil or are we going to end up being more confused because nobody really knows? I'm just kidding. But it's kind of true, right? Because yeah. some people have had like near-death experiences and come back. But um, what's beyond that? But I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is physical too, I think. Like what actually happens to the body. Yeah. 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 yeah I came across a really <clears throat> good article actually. And I'm going to basically read from it. Uh, it had a a lot of really interesting information because it's. I don't think a lot of people know what goes on with the body as we once we've died and as we you know time goes on and this and that. Um, it's a little bit morbid, I guess, but I've always kind of found it interesting. Um, and then there's some actual some actual like people's accounts of what happened, like what they kind of experienced um, with dying, but being brought back kind of thing. Like yeah, CPR brought them back or, you know, what have you. And, and a little bit into kind of what other cultures do with their dead, mm-hmm. which is interesting for us. And hopefully you guys um, there, there is some actual for, for being, Canadian and that and the way we deal with uh, a body is considerably different than some of the other cultures and what they do. So we'll touch on that a bit too. Sounds good. Ah, So no living human knows what happens when we die. Oh, um, so this article is from allinteresting.com, 
and it's an article by Hannah McKenick. McKennett. McKennett, yeah. And it's uh, from all that's interesting. Yeah. Dot com, yeah. Oh, did I say that wrong? I th thought you said all. Oh, no, maybe you did say it right, and I'm just <laughs> hearing wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I can't kind of can't read that very well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but it, it'll be in our notes, the link to the article. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, no, no living human knows what happens when we die. Uh, but here's what we've learned from history and some near-death survivors who s said they glimpsed on the other side. Uh, what happens when you die is perhaps one of the greatest mysteries on Earth, uh, simply because none of us know the answer, and yet all of us will experience death eventually. Humankind's greatest thinkers have been pondering this question for a millennia. And in 1994, an orthopedic surgeon named Tony Sicoria may have come close to solving this great mystery when he was struck by a nearly fatal bolt of lightning in upstate New York. Sicoria felt himself fly backward, and the next thing he remembered was turning around to see his body lying on the ground behind him. For a moment, Sicoria reported, he stood there and watched a woman perform CPR on his body before he floated up a flight of stairs to watch his children play in their rooms. Then I, and this is an actual quote from him now, uh, then I was surrounded by a bluish white light, Sicoria recalled, an enormous feeling of well-being and peace. The highest and lowest points of my life raced by me. I had the perception of accelerating, being drawn up. Then, as I was saying to myself, this is the most glorious feeling I have ever had, Slam! I was back. So, it's kind of like, it sounds like an out-of-body experience, sort of. Yeah. It's, it, it, to me, sounds like the classic thing you hear. Yeah. Yeah, and it's generally, I think, that's, yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's the classic thing you hear. That's what I've heard before in like over the years, that's kind of what people seem to experience to see in their own body there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. According to Dr. Sam Parnia, who has studied near death experiences for years, uh, Sicoria's encounter was not an uncommon one. <laughs> so exactly like we were saying there, death is a process. Parnia added, it is not a black and white moment. In recent years, doctors like Parnia and close call survivors like Sicoria have helped deepen humanity's understanding of what happens when we die. What science says about what happens when we die um, is just kind of the header for the next area. Um, while we may not fully understand the feeling of dying until we experience it for ourselves, we do know what happens to our bodies right before and after death. At first, uh, according to Dr. Nina O'Connor, a, per a person's breathing will become irregular and unusually shallow or deep. Their breath can then begin to sound like a rattle or a gurgle, which happens because the person isn't able to cough up or swallow secretions in their chest or throat. All of this, 
<clears throat> excuse me, all of it comes from the process of the body slowly. Oh, that's like uh, a death rattle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that would be, I think, what's commonly called the death rattle. Um, oh, it's about to say that. Sorry. That's <laughs> all good. Um, all of it comes from the process of the body slowing and shutting down, she says. This sound has been fittingly called the death rattle. Um, then, at the moment of death, every muscle in the body relaxes. This may cause the person to moan or sigh as any excess air is released from their lungs and into their throat and vocal cords. Meanwhile, as the body relaxes, the pupils dilate, the jaw may fall open, and the skin sags. If the person has any urine or feces in their body, these will then be released as well. That fast? Or are they just saying in general it gets, it gets released? I think... Because I feel like right after the death rattle, you're not necessarily going to release. <clears throat> Maybe not. I'm not, it doesn't actually specify and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I kind of feel like when you, when you die, your muscles, they just, with the relaxation. Yeah, but. What I'm asking is, like, what length of time does it take before that happens? Because when you die, like, ten minutes later, is is it there? Or, like, is I would, you releasing? Or, like, how long? I would kind of think that it's fairly instantaneous. I would think, anyway, when you actually just just die, everything just relaxes right then. And your skin sags because your muscles aren't holding it anymore. And with your muscles not holding anything and the just kind of the pressure maybe your body takes on a bit uh, with the dead weight, um, that causes the release. Yeah. Um, my assumption anyway. I don't actually know and since they don't specify i guess it's um what i'm saying is this is a silly thing to talk about so please move on john <laughs> thank you um it is interesting though um yeah sorry um so but as parnia suggested uh death doesn't happen in an instant and some research researchers <clears throat> assert that our brains can operate up to 10 minutes after our heart stops beating so that makes me think our brains can operate up to 10 minutes holy yeah so <laughs> after dying there's got to be some sense of awareness i would imagine still yeah so i wonder if people that like some of these experiences people have had um and it kind of talks about it here um fairly shortly i think um are kind of not so much in necessarily uh, a life after death kind of moment as much as maybe almost like a, a dream, like a, a very lucid dream uh, and yes. still being consciously aware of things happening around you. Uh, beeps of a heart monitor or the, I guess at that point, the constant just ring of a flat line, um, nurses and doctors talking. Um, yeah. So instead <clears> of <throat> a 
a death moment, they might be having just a really uh, hazy uh, end of life moment. Yeah. So they're they're actually still aware, maybe not technically alive. I don't know how to explain what I'm saying. Yeah, I I kind of am thinking, at least for myself anyway, it's maybe more of like and just uh an actual idea not a nothing based on anything um but you know how like when you doze off and you're watching maybe a movie or something and then you fall asleep and that movie plays into your dream yeah yeah and and that that the things going on around them being aware that they were in a hospital and they they weren't healthy um then dying and the brain going into kind of an overdrive, I would imagine at that point, um, but still being able to hear what's happening around you, just creating uh, the illusion that you're floating above your body and you see your body. And what you're actually doing is just having a very lucid dream that's being fueled by sounds around you, your own conscious awareness that you're in the hospital and and that, and I don't know for sure, but I our brains do a really weird thing with dreams and with with sounds. Like when we just just the fact that falling asleep watching a movie can actually incorporate into your your dream. Or I've had dreams where I'm I'm you know whatever is happening, and then I there's a bang in my dream, and I wake up and a cat has knocked something over, yeah. but that bang <clears throat> was, was something that happened in my dream too. Like that, that bang played into my dream. So yeah, that's crazy how that can happen. That's a good call. Yeah. yeah. I personally would like to think that it was somebody experiencing life after death because that gives, that fuels my hope that death isn't the end. It's just the release kind of thing. Yeah. Um, regardless of, of my thought here, I just had, um, I still think that there is more to life than just life and death. Like there's something after that. We're not like, we are a soul, right? We're. Yeah, me too. We'll probably talk about that at the end when I, <clears throat> I got some questions I'm going to ask you oh, sweet. about what you think. Perfect. Um, so anyway, um, Onward here. Uh, within the first hour after death, the body begins to experience the death chill, in parentheses, um, or alger mortis. This is when the corpse cools from its normal temperature to the temperature of the room around it. After a couple of hours, blood will begin to pool in the areas of the body that are closest to the ground due to gravity. This is known as liver mortis. If the body stays in the same position for several hours, these body parts will start to look bruised while the rest of the body grows pale. Limbs and joints will then begin to stiffen within a few hours after death during a process called rigor mortis, which I think most everybody's heard of rigor mortis. Yeah, I, I so. <clears throat> was, I feel like I've heard of liver mortis before, but I had definitely never heard of alger mortis. Yeah. So I didn't realize there was three different mortises the body went through uh, during death. Um, when the body is at its maximum stiffness, 
the knees and elbows will be flexed and the fingers and toes may appear crooked. But after around 12 oh, hours... Sorry, can no, you say ahead. that again? Yeah. Um, limbs and joints... Oh, sorry. Uh, when the body is at its maximum stiffness, the knees and elbows will be flexed and the fingers and toes may appear crooked. That's interesting. So they're maxed out on being flexed and stiff to the point where they can look crooked now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I imagine that's how you end up, like, yeah. bodies with their fingers just contorted. Yeah. And that um, maybe your, you know, toes are kind of like that, too. And I'm saying like that because I'm using my hands to demonstrate this. Sorry, guys, you can't see that. but <laughs> that, that makes sense because I've seen images like that before. And just combined with that actual specific info, it makes sense, right? Because, yeah. And also, like, if I'm totally flexing and stiffening my hands. I have control about where I can, how I can put them, right? Like yeah. how they're resting and stuff. But when there's absolutely nothing and it's just like kind of a release because life doesn't exist anymore, it, it can look like that. So that makes sense. I found that to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is why I say like, it's kind of morbid, but I find it interesting what the body goes through during death and with death and that because it's not really something that you you hear about every day i don't know it's it's interesting yeah um <clears throat> excuse me but after around 12 hours the process of rigor mortis will start to reverse this is due to the decay of internal tissues and it lasts between one and three days during this rehearsal uh, sorry, reversal. Really, John? <laughs> yeah, re you're rehearsing at this point. Uh, no, during the this reversal, uh, the skin begins to tighten and shrink, which can create the illusion that the person's hair, nails, and teeth have grown. Mm. This skin tightening is also responsible for the illusion that blood has been sucked from the corpse, which in turn inspired some of the vampire legends of med medieval Europe and that we still know today. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I've seen that in a ton of horror movies. I just, when you were saying that, I was thinking of a vision of the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, aside from the science of death and decomposition, humans have always also sought to know what the sensation of dying feels like. Uh, because most of us, unlike Sicoria, won't ever have a near-death experience we are simply left wondering what does it feel like to die and according to general practitioner dr claire garada death can sometimes feel like having to use the bathroom that's anticlimactic for me really <laughs> yeah death can sometimes feel like you Needing to use the bathroom? Yep. Most people <clears throat> will die in bed. But of the group that don't, the majority will die sitting on the toilet. This is because there is... <clears throat> excuse me. There are some terminal events, such as an enormous heart attack or clot on the lung, where the bodily sensation is as if you want to defecate. Interesting. That yeah. is 
very interesting actually i thought so too i had no idea that that could be some a feeling you would have um if a person doesn't die from a terminal event however and instead passes on more slowly from long-term illness or old age dying may feel a bit like depression Toward the end of their lives, people tend to eat and drink less, uh, which results in fatigue and a lack of energy. This causes them to move, talk, and think slower. Dr. O'Connor adds that the physical fatigue and weakness of people near the end is profound. Simple things like getting up out of bed and into a chair could be exhausting. That could be all of someone's energy for the day. Because it's so often difficult or impossible for dying people to express how they're feeling during the event, the question of how it feels when we die remains largely shrouded in mystery. While more ineffable matters of what it feels like to die may always be fuzzy, what's very clear is what happens to the body in a practical sense after death. But how we handle our dead bodies and what ceremonies and rites we perform still varies greatly around the world. Typically in the West, bodies are embalmed after death. The process of embalming dates back to the ancient Egyptians, and even earlier, when some cultures mummified their dead in the hopes that their soul could one day return to the corpse. Aztecs and Mayans likewise had a history of mummifying their dead, as did many of the world's most studied civilizations in the pre-modern era. But as for modern Western practices, embalming in the U.S. only became popular during the Civil War as a means of transporting fallen soldiers back to their families to be buried. Interesting. Yeah. Modern embalming is a meticulous process. As soon as a doctor has certified that a person is dead, the body is transported to the coroner who may request a post-mortem examination. This process requires a pathologist to complete an external and internal examination. For the internal examination, the pathologist removes every organ of the body, from the tongue to the brain, and then inspects them and places them back in the body. <sighs> Which I didn't realize they did. I didn't think that they like especially if they're i didn't first off didn't know they took out the tongue um second i didn't realize they put that back in there they don't do it with everybody only if they require a post-mortem examination is that kind of what they said yeah if you uh, sorry no no worries um Transported to a coroner who may request yeah. a post-mortem examination. So, if further information needs to be sought out, and I don't, I think that's also separate from an autopsy. I think an autopsy is different, even though they just, well, I don't know, because they're taking every organ out. Maybe that is also... That might be what an autopsy is, basically. Just a different word for it. But yeah. Yeah, so not everybody's going to get something like that. That just, I don't know why, but that freaks me out. I don't want... Yeah, to be cut open and have oh. all your organs explored. <clears throat> yeah, and I imagine it's in fairly specific cases. If the cause of death can't be determined or if 
the cause of death is needing to be determined due to like maybe a murder or something like that. Like yeah. they got to go in and see what kind of damage maybe a bullet did or a knife wound did. Um, yeah. Uh, so next the body is drained of all its fluids, which are replaced with a preservative like formaldehyde. So that would be the embalming process. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the throat and nose are packed with cotton wool. The mouth is stitched or glued closed from the inside. The hair is washed. Ah, uh, what? The, the mouth is stitched or glued closed. I would Why? only assume that they do that. Oh, because so it'll pop open. Yeah, the mouth is, you know, it, so because if you're being buried in a casket, right, and it's an open casket, you don't want your relative or whoever it may be to just be laying there with their eyes closed looking so peaceful but their mouth just hanging wide open so i'm guessing a little oh, bit man. of i didn't realize yeah that. and i've been to open casket funerals yep me too death is like one of those taboos people don't really talk about because no one's ever mentioned that to me like why would you though like that's not what you're thinking of at the time but Ah, uh, that, I, it makes sense for sure, but I never thought of that. Yeah, oh. me neither. I didn't know that the throat and nose are packed with cotton wool, uh, the mouth being stitched or glued shut. I had, uh, there's a ton, of, this is why I found this article so interesting, because there is so much information I didn't know about that really you'd only know about this if you were a, um, like a pathologist or or an embalmer or a mortician yeah. or, you know, something like that. Um, this is another crazy one here. Um, the hair is washed, the nails are cleaned and cut, and cosmetics are applied to the face and skin, which that I kind of figured because that's part of the mortician thing, right? Like they make, they dress the body up and make it look... Yeah, because they, they, lose, they lose color, yeah. right? And the color changes, and I've definitely seen bodies at funerals that I for sure could tell had makeup on them. Yeah. For, like, the skin color and stuff. Yeah. Um, plastic caps are applied under the eyelids to help them hold their shape. Oh. <clears throat> Which I had no idea, but it absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Um... But yeah, again, a little little tidbit of info there I had no idea about. I think you missed a chunk of words. Oh, no, maybe not. Sorry, honey. Uh, finally, the body is dressed and placed in a coffin. From here, it can be buried or cremated, depending on the person's preference, culture, or religion. In many non-Western cultures, in fact, death rituals are very different from what most of us might know. This is especially true for the Toraja people of Indonesia. And I really hope I said that right. Um, if not, apologies. Uh, they believe that the dead are never really gone. So people are not so quick to dispose of their loved one's bodies. When a Toraja person dies, their family cares for their body until a proper funeral can be prepared, which can take weeks, months, or even years. Oh. They keep the body and they take care of it, keep it clean, you know. 
Um, during this time, the deceased is treated as if they are simply sick instead of dead. Once the funeral is finally ready, the Toraja village honors the dead with prayers, dancing, and animal sacrifice before they take the body to its tomb. However, the body is not left in its tomb forever. Every one to three years, the Taraja people exhume their loved ones, wipe them clean, dress them in new clothes, sunglasses, and walk them around so they can do things like introduce them to any new family members. Oh. Which, for, for us being Western culture, it sounds absolutely bizarre. and yeah. And almost in its own right terrifying i would be really shocked and maybe even almost appalled that if somebody was walking down the street in penhold with their dead relative all dressed up and was like hey tori have you i haven't introduced you to my my granddad you know and <laughs> it's it would, just yeah. bizarre for us, right? And I guess for them it would be completely normal. Yeah, if you're growing up from a baby to an adult and you're seeing that your whole life. Yeah, you're yeah. accustomed to it. But if we moved there and didn't know that was part of their culture and saw it, we would... It would be shocking, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> um Okay, so uh, introduce them to any new family member. Uh, so Jewish people, on the other hand, do not embalm their loved ones and instead bury them quickly after they are de declared dead. Rabbi Corey Helfand says, According to the text we read in Genesis, with Adam coming from the earth, we give our bodies back to the earth and to God. That's why we bury our dead. Uh, Jewish people are thus typically buried naked, wrapped in a cotton sheet, and laid in a plain pine coffin so that the body may decompose naturally. Um, Muslim people do the same with their dead, burying them without a coffin. Uh, sorry, uh, burying them without a coffin in some cases. Yeah, and that's kind of more like... I've known about the process of embalming and stuff for... Many, many years now, because yeah. I'm 40, basically. I'm not 40. I always say I'm 40. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but when I was a kid, that's exactly what I thought happened to bodies. Like, I thought they died, and then I knew that, like, at the funeral, they were in clothes and stuff. So it's, I didn't have a vision of, like, a cotton sheet on a naked body, but I definitely thought people died. And then they just take their body the way it is, yeah. and they dress it up, and they put it in a coffin, and then you bury it. Like, I didn't think there was really any prep work, so I kind of, like, the way the Jewish people do it is kind of like how I thought everyone did it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And that's probably, well, aside from, I know it said about the Aztecs and the Mayans, but I imagine Western culture hundreds of years ago, whatever. Like, we weren't embalming bodies. We were just no. burying the dead, right? Like, yeah. the way they were in a, probably a pine box, like whatever was yeah. the easiest to come by. And that 
nothing like we got really fancy wooden coffins now and and that but yeah i imagine that's just how it was done too yeah and it's not like anyone's gonna be like telling a kid that like oh no tori like like 10 year old tori or <laughs> yeah. oh no tori they actually they have to put some plastic in the eyelids and then they're taking all the fluids out they're actually putting formaldehyde inside the body like no one's telling that to a yeah. kid so i mean of course i didn't know that because that's a weird thing to tell anyone but um like a child but yeah i just thought and even sometimes now when i think of death i think of like someone just dying and then you put them in a coffin and that's all you do and then they like yeah the the middle part is kind of left out because it's not one that's really ever talked about with yeah, death. Yeah. Like nobody is like even at twenty. I mean, your parents aren't saying to you like, "Oh, Grandpa's just being embalmed now, and then yeah, we'll, we'll be able to hold the funeral." Like it just never ever usually gets talked about. So it's I'd say yeah, it's it's just easy and and that that you never really think about that middle part. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, medieval, <clears throat> excuse me, M medieval Christians, on the other hand, lived their lives considering and preparing for death, mostly because they were surrounded by it. Without modern medicine, there were high rates of infant mortality and disease, while famine and war were also rampant. This was the age of the Black Death, after all. Christian Europeans and Americans thus still tend toward death rituals that are more highly prepared and orchestrated in terms of things like coffins and funeral rites. Oh, yeah, sorry. Funerary. I Funerary rites. But you were, you were still, like, you got the point of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the ancient Egyptians believed that the dead had to first pass through the underworld before they could rest in the afterlife. But the journey to the afterlife was riddled with obstacles. So the ancient Egyptians buried their loved ones with scrolls inscribed with spells to protect and guide them to their final resting place. Archaeologists have even found maps of the underworld in tombs meant to direct the dead in the afterlife. Um, setting aside what happens to the deceased bodies after they die, what happens to them, to their very being and their soul? While the world's cultures and religions can offer some possible answers, so can survivors of near-death experiences. In 1988, actress Jane Seymour went into anaphylactic shock. As her body began to shut down, her mind stayed aware. Do you know who Jane Seymour is, honey? I know the name. She's a very famous actor or actress, but... Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Oh, that's her. Yeah. Oh. Maybe a fast Google just to make sure, because I was pretty confident about that. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, there we have it. That's crazy. I did not know that. I know the name. I just absolutely couldn't picture a face to that. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, she went into anaphylactic shock. Uh, her bo body began to shut down, but her mind stayed aware. Uh, she said, I had the vision of seeing a white light and looking down and seeing myself in this bedroom with a nurse frantically trying to save my life and jabbing injections in me. And I'm calmly watching this whole thing, she said. 
<clears throat> describing the a scene common in reports from those who have almost died. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dr. Sam Parnia recorded this phenomenon with multiple survivors during his 2014 study of near-death experiences. One patient could recall what was happening in the hospital for a full three minutes after his heart had stopped. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like when... I think part of it's just basic, like, I know it's not electricity in the body, but it's the kinetic energy still in there, right? Yeah. Like, Is that the right term? Kin I, don't I don't know if kinetic energy, because I think <clears throat> kinetic energy has to do with movement. But I get what you're saying, though. Because the brain, if the brain is staying active for up to 10 minutes, it's still firing, right? So you're still having, um, I, I think it's called synapses. Yeah. And yeah. that... Um, so your neurons are still firing and that, so there's it's, still some yeah. electrical impulses. Because like our body is like, we're made of vibration, right? Like that's what molecules do. I think I am not scientific, but yeah. I know that we're vibration, right? And energy is inside of us. So as soon as our heart stops or our brain, like every... There's still energy that needs to be released in some way. Yeah. And I think um, until it fully gets, like, released, some things are still going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's like when you cut a, the head off a chicken, the chicken runs around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, I would say, would be a, a great example. Um, so the man described everything that had happened in the room. But importantly, he heard two bleeps from a machine that makes a noise at three-minute intervals, said Parnia. So we could time how long the experience lasted for. He seemed very credible, and everything that he said had happened to him. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I worded that with my own punctuation. Um, <laughs> he seemed very credible, and everything that he said had happened to him had actually happened. Mm -hmm. While not every survivor that Parnia spoke with had an out-of-body experience, as many as 40% of them do recall having some sort of awareness when they were declared clinically dead. Even after flatlining, many survivors rec recall seeing a bright, welcoming light or a deceased relative or the doctors and nurses working on them in the hospital. What's more, many of the people who experienced consciousness after death remember not wanting to return to their bodies. However, many scientists remain skeptical of these reports and attribute them to everything from lucid dreaming to a lack of oxygen in the brain. Which... Yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah. I know the lack of oxygen can really do stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so if your body is completely shut down, you're flatlining, you're not breathing anymore... I can just imagine, because we go into, when we get shocked or, you know, something bad's happening, we go into fight or flight, right? Yeah. And that is us trying to survive uh, a situation that's happening. Um, now, imagine going into fight or flight and your brain slowly powering down. Like, it's going to try and work through it and try to survive and who knows 
what's actually gonna it's gonna cause you to see or imagine or experience while that's happening yeah exactly that makes sense um while more research needs to be done before we know for sure what happens when we die perhaps it is at least comforting to think that our consciousness floats on as our bodies expire which I think is a great ending because that, like I said, I still, I truly believe we are a soul inside uh, a body, right? Like this, when our body goes away, our body goes away, but we don't. We yeah. still exist <clears throat> somewhere on some plane, what have you. But that's my belief that there is not necessarily life after death, but there is something after death. Uh. Well, I just mean life as in you're not existing in a body. Okay. You're yeah. still a soul. So yeah. if the life of your soul after death, yes. Okay. That's what I meant. Sorry, that was confusing. My explanation probably wasn't the best either. <laughs> no, it was pretty good, honey. Um, I agree with that. And I do believe that our bodies are just our vessels. And yes. This is what we've chosen for our soul at this time. Yeah. And then I don't know what happens later, but I do believe that we can't be this conscious and aware and seeking and thinking and feeling and all those things combined with a conscious con 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 help me con consciousness <laughs> well with a conscious con oh a conscious yeah <laughs> why i can't say that i don't <laughs> um right but with all those things and then when our heart stops we just go into the ground like I don't think that's where it ends either. yeah I don't either um I definitely think that a lot of these accounts could definitely be attributed to just the brain trying to function on the very last of what it has yeah um it however there is like a large part of me too that believes that that could very well be your soul leaving your body now because yeah. you're dead and you are actually seeing and experiencing it as just your soul. You're seeing your body there. You're seeing the doctors working on you. That's, I think, highly likely too. Yeah, I, I agree. I really do because the thing is, is that there's got to be a transition, right? Yeah. So let's say we're right and our soul is going to move on. Like, there's going to be a transition that we're going to be aware of and it would make sense. Like me thinking about it as a human, knowing things as I know it, that's a logical thing. Like I would, if my soul was now leaving my body, I would be floating, but who knows, right? Because yeah. uh, human brains have a way of trying to, logically relate it to something you already know right? yeah yeah who knows if that's how it actually happens what maybe if we're really transitioning it's just like bam now we're a different type of matter in a different realm yeah immediately like i don't know 
Yeah, exactly. And that's something we'll never know until the time comes. One thing I did really like about this, though, too, is it said that, uh, like, a lot of the people, majority of the people, they experience a, a, a sense of well-being, calmness, yeah. peacefulness um, while they were experiencing this. So it's not panic. They're not freaked out. They're not suffering. There's nothing. It's just, it's the actual release. You're at peace. You're yes. calm. You're... and. I I like I like that. I, I I'd like to think that if I had a heart attack someday or what have you and I go into the hospital and I'm panicked, I'm worried I'm gonna die and I die, that it is just peace. I'm seeing myself, I'm calm, I'm relaxed, I'm yeah. I am so at peace, I don't wanna go back to my body, like that's how peaceful it is. I agree. I thought it was interesting that at the beginning of this uh, article, the person said it was like the most glorious feeling they'd ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question. <clears throat> What's that? What you set aside, okay? Yeah. Let's pretend you didn't just throw that out there. Um, are you scared of death? Yes. I would say... I'm scared. I think, how would I say this? I, I am scared of death. Um, I don't want to die. I like life. Yeah. I'm enjoying my life. Um, I would be more scared to know that I was dying. If Does that okay. make sense? Like... I wouldn't want to know, like, if it's going to, not if, when it's going to happen, I just want it to happen. Yeah. I don't want to know about it. Yeah, I would never pick to know if I somehow had the choice. Yeah. Never. And. Is it because of unfinished business or because you would achingly miss the people in your life or a combo? Like. I think it's a combo of both. Or you or fear, the, sure. fear the unknown. Uh, that's definitely a part of it too. Um, there, I mean, yeah, yeah, that all three of those I would say would be the trifecta that would make me fear death. Mm, I see. Um, like, like right now, I mean, I'm, I'm 38 years old. I, we both have kids yeah. and the last thing I'd want to know is I'm going to die. Um, which means I'm not going to get to see my kid grow up. I don't get to see your kids grow up and what becomes of them. I don't get to, um, grow old with you. Um, there's, <clears throat> and as superficially as this part sounds, because a lot of the way we're advancing in life is very, I find very interesting, uh, technology wise. Um, there's, I mean, every single year there's multiple video games that I want to play because yeah. they sound so interesting. <laughs> there's a ton of movies I want to see and, uh, different experiences that I haven't experienced yet that I would love to experience. And, that's a part of 
I guess the unknown with, I would say, what fuels some of my fear of death is I wouldn't get to know any of those. I wouldn't, mm -hmm. I wouldn't know how anything ended, how anything turned out, how anything began. Well, certain things, I guess, not anything, but certain things. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that, and that, yeah, I don't know. That all kind of fuels what would be my fear of death anyway. Hmm. I see. I don't know if I've, I, I feel like I've told this to you before, but um, I actually don't fear death. Yeah. I don't. Um, there was a point in my life where I was scared of it. Yeah. And had very similar to all the feelings that you state. And I don't think that's really uncommon, but I don't fear death. And I absolutely, um, like actually truly mean it. And I think it's because I have, uh, come to terms a couple times as a parent with some really scary experiences with one of my kids. Yeah. And I've had to spend some real time uh, throwing the ball around with myself. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that kind of stuff. Um, for me, I think possibly fearing someone else's death is a stronger thing than my own. Yeah. But I can also tie the fact that I don't fear death with other people as well. So um, I'm more easily to able to come to terms with when it's someone's time, it's their time. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean I will like it. It doesn't mean I'll easily adapt fast if it happens, but. There's a level of <clears throat> acceptance. Yeah. Cause I've had to go to some dark places personally. And I know you have too. Yeah. Everybody's had, you know, some things, but I think maybe sometimes when we've had to deal with it on on a personal level, that's why it makes us not want it. Like yeah. fearing the death because um, if someone was taken from us too soon too, it's like, I want to hold on to this and I don't want to lose anyone else and I don't want to yeah. be lost for my family and stuff. Like I get that too, but for me... I don't know how I actually came to terms with it because I wasn't actively trying to figure it out. Yeah. But <clears throat> I don't fear it. Nice. That's, <clears throat> you have mentioned that before, but I don't know if you've ever really gone into that much detail and, and that, and I think, I think that's good too, you know? Um, I think a large part of it is the fact that I, I very strongly believe in my heart that we're not just humans in a human body. I do believe that whatever that saying is, like I'm a soul running a human body right now. Yeah. Inside yeah, exactly. of a body, but that's not what I am. And I very, very strongly believe that when I die, <clears throat> I will be reunited with loved ones. And <clears throat> I do think there's like an energetic connection between souls that were meant to be together. Like, yeah. I believe all the cheesy stuff, right? Yeah. And I actually believe it, so it makes me feel very good. Yeah. Very good as, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I get what you're saying for sure. Yeah, and I... I... 
will most often say that I believe the exact same thing. Yep. And and that, but I always live with the fear of the unknown myself. Like, even though I truly believe it, I don't actually know. And there's always that what if. Like, what if we aren't a soul? What if our brain makes us believe we have a soul? What if, <laughs> you know, and... And I get all these different what-ifs in my head that spiral new ones and this and that. But generally, I rest easy with the idea that we are an actual soul. There's, and like you said, like energies, there's certain things that connect us and bring us together. And, um, and that, like, like as if it were meant to be, basically. Yeah. And that would solely rely on energies and and that so i would say like 98 percent of me believes that we're a soul in a vessel right now but two percent of me lives in this stupid what if yeah because we don't know for sure yeah we absolutely don't everybody gets to find out at some point but when you find out it's not like you can come back and tell everyone else, yeah, right? So exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So <clears throat> sorry to make that so heavy there. No, that's that's good. That's I find all of that very interesting. So do I, and I think everybody comes to a point in their life where they've thought about it enough and had a, enough discussions where. I think every person has to come to terms with what they believe. I think most people, if you ask them, they they have something they've come up with. Yeah. Because humans have to, right? Like, they got to make a logical sense of something, right? Yeah, absolutely. As well as they can. Okay, so that being said, this conversation naturally made me think of a very, very famous movie <laughs> from my childhood called Flatliners, Okay. It's, sorry, <clears throat> I just wanted to point out the whole time, so I read this article twice, Yeah. and then the whole time we were talking about it now, I kept thinking in my head how I could reference the movie Flatliners, <laughs> because it absolutely made me think of this movie too. Um, so, I don't even know what year it came out, like maybe, like, oh, 1990. Um... And, I mean, I know there's a newer one that came out in 2017. Yeah. I can't remember if we saw it. I yeah, I think we... I'm sure we did. Yeah. But I always think of the original one with Julia Roberts in it. Yeah. Um, Julia Roberts was in it, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, she was. She was one of the... Because the, they were med students, I believe, yep. right? And uh, there was Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. Yeah. He's who I remember because he's my movie boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, that guy, he is one of my favorite actors. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, for people that don't know about uh, Flatliners. Alright, so for people that don't know about Flatliners, it's basically a bunch of med... It's a movie about a bunch of med students that pretty much clinically make themselves dead. So they can see what it feels like, and then their friends revive them, and this group of people do it, right? Yeah, they're trying to prove that there's life after death or something, or or what would be after death. Yeah, and so 
basically it goes on to it's uh it's m magical or whatever because it shows that they're pulling back <laughs> I like how you're looking <laughs> um pretty much when they die they bring something bad back with them and blah 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 but that's not the part I want to talk about yeah just the part where if you could do something like that would you and if you knew no not even if you knew you're gonna live with those circumstances so the odds are that you will be revived because basically doctors are standing over top of you while you're dying yeah and they're waiting to revive you right so the odds that you're gonna live are fairly strong but there's always that what if would you do that in a controlled environment if you could just to see what it was what it's like Ugh. at this point in time in my life no but if I was a med student, I had no spouse, I had no children, yeah. and I was younger and a bit more adventurous, then I might. I couldn't actually say for sure, because most of me right now is screaming no, Yeah. but I really think that it's screaming no based on the fact of where I am in my point in, in life, yeah. like with... with uh, children and uh, a spouse and stuff like it's it seems too risky now yeah my answer is almost <clears throat> identical to yours like I wouldn't do it either at this yeah. point uh, 20 years ago 3000% I would have done it though yeah I'm without a shadow of a I doubt a eh? I actually would have yeah. I know I would have if I had the chance um would I, 20 years ago, would, is there any chance I would have been in med school, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and me both. <clears throat> so I just thought that that's kind of an interesting thing. Because I think it would be interesting. Like, I had surgery three years ago in September. And I didn't die during my surgery. Yeah. But I definitely stopped breathing for a length of time. I had uh, bronchiospasms, I think. Yeah. And they didn't know for sure if I was allergic to the anesthetic or what happened. But I stopped breathing and I had that happen and stuff. And that was scary enough for me when I woke up because I didn't, I had no recollection of any of it. No clue. Yeah. You just woke up normal, breathing normal. Yeah. Well, my throat hurt. Yeah. And I actually couldn't talk very well at all for, I would say, very close to two or three weeks after that. Is that because they intubated you? Like, they yeah. put the tube? Yeah. Yeah. They, they had to put something down my throat harder. Because there was something in my mouth when I was in surgery, right? But yeah. I think they had to, like, I don't know what exactly they did, but... That's probably, <clears> I would <throat> imagine, yeah, it's the intubation and then they got the... The thing that they squeeze to breathe for you, for you yes, kind of thing until you came back to your normal breathing? Yeah, I believe that's what happened because they explained it to me when I woke up, but I was very groggy still. Oh, yeah. Basically, in a nutshell, I stopped breathing and then they had to help me breathe and stuff. But did I die? No. Um, that was scary enough for me. Yeah. And to the point where I 
<clears throat> will avoid surgery at all costs because I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if it's life or death, if they're if they're like, oh, you have a ten pound tumor in your leg. If we don't get rid of it, you're going to be poisoned and die or whatever, right? But, yeah. Uh, obviously, but if I came up to the point where there was some sort of elective surgery where it's like, it might help your quality of life, but... Uh, you don't need it. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll say no, right? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I would say no to things like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, honestly, I don't blame you. I I would feel the same way. Do you have any scary, like, surgery or... No. I've <laughs> stories? only ever had surgery one time, and I was very nervous going in because I've, I've heard the horror stories and I've seen the movies about uh, waking up in the middle of surgery. Yeah. But... I guess it's not really waking up. It's just becoming consciously aware, aware of yeah. what's happening to you, but you feel what's happening to you, but you, you're paralyzed. You can't scream. You can't move. And that was a terrifying notion that that could happen, even though it's a very small percentage of the population that's actually ever happened to. Um, anyway, it was still that fear and that what if, but no, I got, I got put under, had my surgery, woke up and was it was just normal um they had nothing to say except that they were able to repair what they needed to repair and there oh, was nice. no complications or no issues and i just think that's a wild experience in itself like just being put under yeah just that is strange cuz even uh having no recollection of being put under it's just like humans are able to do that to other humans and i mean it's great it's good that they can do that yeah. but it's also like a really strange thing to think about because we spend like 99 percent of our lives pretty much being in control and aware of what we're doing pretty much right yeah i mean even when i put myself to sleep i know i'm doing it it's me doing it right? yeah but just help, kind of giving that power to somebody else is, it's kind of intense. Yeah. Even yeah, when exactly. it's successful. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to explain what I mean, but. No, I get what you're saying though. Um, and it's crazy that you can, there's a chemical that can put you so asleep and unaware of what's happening to you that you can't even feel. Yeah. That, I mean, think of a person getting open heart surgery or brain surgery where they, they got to cut into your actual skull and remove a chunk of bone and then put it back in and, and that are, you know, spread open your chest to get at your heart and, and that like, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. But also that's kind of crazy too. Oh that, yeah. You know, we, we can be put under that hard thank yeah. god we can but yeah like we can be put in a state where we're not aware of our physical we're not even aware that we can be aware like yeah. we're just kind of nothing for like hanging there for a bit in like purgatory-ish yeah like well that's exactly <clears throat> it because i can i can say for sure that while i was under anesthesia yeah i I don't remember dreaming. 
anything. I, I don't remember anything. I yeah. remember the doctor, they say to do the count backwards or whatever from 10. Yeah. And I can't remember how many numbers I got in, but it wasn't many. And then I was just waking up in an elevator being pushed around on the, the gurney or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's <clears throat> almost exactly what I remember from my surgery too. Except for I made it really clear to them that I was going to need some Ativan. Which is an anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. Before surgery. And they let me... They let that, like, kind of... Take effect. Take effect before they even brought me into where they were going to put me under. Right? Yeah. And while I was waiting for the Ativan to work, I had fallen asleep. <laughs> and they had to wake me up. Because before surgery, they got to ask you questions like, what's your name? Like, just confirming... Yeah. Whatever, right? So they had to wake me up and then they took me to do that. So I remember two separate things. I remember falling asleep from that. And then I remember making it like only like one or two numbers in and falling asleep again. Yeah. So, yeah. It's crazy how yeah. you can... I don't know. Being a human is weird. <laughs> it is true. It is true. <clears throat> so just the last thing. I, I don't know how fast this is going to run us, but or long it's going to run us, but... um. I want to kind of start a new segment at the end, maybe, called yep. What the Fuck is Wrong with Humans? Ooh, I, don't know if that's I, like the, that. I don't know if that's the name we're going to keep. But, yep. um, <clears throat> so on Facebook, I read this, uh, this article um, from Nancy Grace, because I follow her on Facebook. Yep. Um, so... <clears throat> The name of this headline is called Farmer Intentionally Laces Baby Food Jars with Metal Shards in Grocery Stores. Holy shit. And the article's from CrimeOnline.com, and I believe Nancy Grace owns that website. But if anyone doesn't know who Nancy Grace is, she's <clears throat> a lady that follows news and, like, news stories. And she's a lawyer, and um, she fights for victims a lot of people don't like her a lot of people do i'm one of the people that like her yeah anyways so <clears throat> so this article says and it was written by lee e lee egan and it's from crimeonline.com and we'll put that in the the show notes as well so a sheep farmer has been convicted of lacing baby jars with metal shards at supermarkets in an attempt to blackmail a grocery store chain for cryptocurrency. Uh, Independent reports that 45-year-old Nigel Wright of Lincolnshire, England was engaged in a Bitcoin plot for nearly two years in an attempt to extort money from Tesco, a British supermarket giant. He sent the store... Numerous threatening letters implying babies would be injured while demanding money. Imagine a baby's mouth cut open and oh. blood pouring out, or the inside of their bellies cut and bleeding. You pay, you saved them. That's one of the notes he wrote, those, that chain. Jesus. So, what a <clears throat> sicko. Right, a sheep farmer wrote that he was part of a group of angry farmers being paid low prices for their milk. During the trial, however, Wright alleged that travelers were forcing him into blackmail. He claimed he wrote the letters out of fear for his family. 
Security footage from a Tesco supermarket in Scotland captured Wright as he placed a contaminated Heinz baby food jar on the shelf, CTV reports. Tesco issued a national product recall on 42,000 Heinz jars when a mother, Morvin Smith, found, a, found metal in a Heinz sweet and sour baby, sweet and sour chicken baby food jar. I gave my son a couple spoonfuls and noticed something shiny. It was horrendous. Fuck. I felt sick. I was so shocked. Smith, Smith testified during Wright's trial. The Daily Record reports that Smith's husband found another blade at the bottom of the jar. Oh. He wrapped the bags and jar in a freezer bag and sent it to Tesco. Smith said someone drew a circle with a cross through it on the bottom part of the jar. At this point, I knew the jar had been marked and had... And someone had done it on purpose, Smith said. Another mother, Harpeet Kar Singh, also found metal fragments in a Heinz baby in Heinz baby food jars while feeding her daughter. Singh said she found metal shards in the Heinz cheesy pasta stars and the Sunday ch chicken dinner jars. After Further investigation, Wright was arrested in February. Investigators found draft messages to the supermarket on his laptop and pictures of baby food with metal slivers. You were carrying on your life normally while hoping to make yourself rich by threatening Tesco in this way while endangering the life of others in the process, Prosecutor Ju Julian Christopher QC said. The truth is you were not in fear at all. A jury convicted Wright of two counts of contaminating goods. He was also found guilty on three counts of blackmail after he demanded cryptocurrency from Tesco in exchange for the locations of the contaminated baby food jars. Um, <clears throat> Wright is expected back in court for sentencing in September. That's Holy fucked shit. up. That is fucked up. Picking babies as your target yeah is Sick. disgusting it is absolutely and doing what he did like putting blades in it yeah like so he must have just broken up like razors or something like that and then started throwing them in oh, jesus that is sick and twisted for babies know? and at least yeah. these mothers found it yeah before. the parents that caught it or that actually got purchased these items they actually found it and the babies weren't hurt like that's lucky yeah oh a hundred percent oh man that's like bone chilling i can't believe there's people out there that that's so scary yeah yeah that's <clears throat> not a far cry different from um We've all heard the horror stories about Halloween yeah. candy. Yeah, exactly. And that uh, pins and razors being stuck into candies for kids. It's just sick. Like, what kind of twisted, demented fucking mind comes up with things like that to do to children? That's a psychopath right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and to go on living day-to-day -day life, like, meh. 
Just waiting for my cryptocurrency to come through. What a piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, I think this episode is getting a little bit longer than it should be. So, <laughs> um, join us Monday. Yeah. For our regular scheduled. Yeah. Episodes. Of Podcast, Podcast and Chill. And chill.